Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Welcome back. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Melissa Leong, who is one of Canada's best-loved authorities on personal finance. She's the author of the Feel Good Finance Guide, Happy Go Money, and is a resident money expert on Canada's leading daytime talk show, The Social, on CTV. She's also been on many other radio and television programs as the go-to money expert, appearing on The Drew Barrymore Show, BNN, CBC Radio, Breakfast Television, CP24, Global News, just to name a few. And over the last 20 years, she's covered a variety of subjects, including crime, politics, terrorism, arts, and business for the National Post, the Toronto Star, and the Globe and Mail. In her spare time, Melissa mentors youth and volunteers for organizations that promote the advancement and empowerment of women. And that has exactly been my experience. We met at a Girls Inc. community event in Ajax, Ontario, where Melissa and I dedicated the day to speaking to a young group of girls at an after-school program. And Melissa absolutely walks the walk on that front of empowering young women and women everywhere as well as individuals to take control of their personal finances and really thrive so please join me in welcoming melissa hey melissa so glad you're here i'd love to dive right in to understand given the way that we met why is volunteering in the local community so important to you so i have probably always volunteered within my community and I have a special place in my heart for young people because when I was young some of my most meaningful moments were when someone that I looked up to or admired or was someone I didn't even realize (laughs) would give me an opportunity to spend some time with me um that meant so much to me. And so when I was a young reporter, I used to try to volunteer with local groups and talk about, you know, anything. I would talk about writing. I would try to educate um, people about media and trying to be media savvy. And that was always some of my most rewarding work. Yeah, so that's actually a really good point I mean I know a little bit about this but what brought you to reporting in the first place and then I guess in a secondary way also finance specifically I mean what what started you off in that direction I always wanted to be a writer and so I came to journalism with this dream of being a communicator through words. I love the written word and I love telling stories. And so my um, my original dream when I first became a newspaper reporter was that I would be a war correspondent and I would be embedded <laughs> in, in far-flung areas of the world, um, you know, going on adventures and, and trying to to write meaningful, world-changing news. Um, That was how my career started. 
and then I sort of I've I've written I've written for every news section of the newspaper. I ended up writing for the arts and life section. I reviewed movies. I wrote about travel. I, uh, you know, I covered a little bit of sports. I covered crime. I covered terrorism, and then I ended up in the financial section of the newspaper. And I just did not want to be there. <laughs> I had just been moved from the arts and life section at the paper where I literally was sent to write about pools and spas in Vegas. <laughs> and they downsized the department and they wanted to, you know, looking back, my editors wanted to uh, save me, I suppose, and keep me and help me grow my career. And so they moved me to the financial post because that's uh, an area of the paper that was growing. And I didn't see it as a gift at the time, but I am someone who tries to make lemonade when you get lemons. And so I threw myself into um, personal finance and I discovered that, you know, I always wanted to tell stories and I always wanted to help people and, and help people improve their lives. and finance is just about that. I mean, money is a story of your life. It's a story of birth and death and milestones and paying for education and your family and the future. And writing about personal finance was about writing about people's lives and telling their stories. And I can think of no better way to help people than by empowering them to try to lead a better life through financial literacy. Wow. That's the most beautiful definition, I guess, of money or finance I've ever heard. <laughs> what <do> you- <laughs> it's, it's just a tool, right? Money is just a tool. We all use it uh, and we give it so much meaning. But at the end of the day, we're just using it to live a happy life. So, you know, I hope that I'm helping people in terms of just having a conversation with themselves about, well, what kind of life are you trying to build? And if you've identified what that is, how can you get that through spending and saving and investing? Well, and you have your amazing book, Happy Go Money, which I'll share, you know, I'll share in the comments. But when when it comes to when it comes to that, how to enjoy life via the way we spend money, what's maybe the the number one thing someone should know. I'm sure people ask you this all the time, but maybe something you don't show up. <laughs> the number one thing, it's hard to pinpoint one thing that will transform your happiness when it comes to money. But I think just taking a step back and thinking about the things that you value first. So if we just you know, take a big picture look and look at the things that we value in our lives, you know, list them. What is it? Is it family? Is it adventure? Is it fun, curiosity, learning? And then think about what you're spending your money on. Where are you allocating your resources? If it's in pursuit of, you know, happiness, then make sure that you are allocating your money and your time, because time is a, a, a very limited resource, to the things that you value. I think that will make people happier. You know, I think there's a, a disconnect sometimes. You know, some people say, well, I value my family above all else. 
and I wish I could spend more time with them. That's why I'm working so hard, you know, um, to have something to give to my family. And that's fine. That's great. Is as long as you understand that. But then if you take a step back and think, well, should I take this job that actually means double the hours, double the stress, double the commute, but it, it means that you're actually spending less time with your family right now. You might make more money, but just make sure that you understand that there's actually a trade-off happening there. And, you know, I've talked to people who, after reading my book or after having that conversation with themselves, they realize that, no, actually, it's not worth it. I do not want to spend extra weekends away from my family to make this, you know, X amount of dollars. That's not going to make me happy right now. Wow. Yeah, so big around actually being very clear on what you want and then saying no, maybe to additional money if the cost of it doesn't make sense for our values. That's huge. Because it's so sure. easy to feel like you have to follow along, right? It's like, oh, I get the promotion. So why, how could I possibly say no to that? Yes, I think we get caught up in, I think we get caught up in following a narrative that maybe we've been told or maybe we tell ourselves. And I think it's just about everything in life. It's just kind of taking a pause sometimes and trying to figure out, well, is this, is this the right way? Is this what I want to be doing? Is this um, the best use of my time and my resources and my money? You know, uh, it's the same thing when I think about, you know, people are, people th say things like, well, if I had more money, I would be happier. If I had this, if I had a raise, if I had this job, um, and, you know, that's a question that I talk about in my book, you know, it's, it's a pretty big if, right? Really, like, do, really, if you had this much money, you'd be happier because, you know, studies actually show that once you had that amount of money, you're actually not happier, you just want more, because that's human nature, we kind of get, we're adaptive, right, we get used to whatever we have, and we want more to satisfy the next, you know, the next goal, right? Um, and so, yeah, you're just trying to pay attention to the end point. And, you know, if you really want to be happy, there are a lot of other things to work on aside from money. You know, it's like when people say to me, I want to be more confident. So I am, I'm going to buy this, this makeup. And it's a question, you know, I say, is the makeup going to make you more confident <laughs> or is it something else some other kind of behind the scenes work uh that needs to happen the makeup is extra it's great but maybe not the root yeah I love that actually looking at the root cause I just did another interview with a woman who does functional medicine and it was the same sort of thesis when it comes to our health as well to look at the root cause of things not to just mask the symptoms and it sounds like a similar kind of notion when it comes to money, actually, like looking at the root, the most important things, not the superficial stuff, not the outward facing. Right. Things. Well, the outward facing things are easy, the easiest thing, right? I mean, it's, that's why retail therapy is a thing. And I wrote a book about it, but I still fall victim to it. You know, especially in the pandemic, I've, I've tried to reach for things that would give me some sort of comfort, some sort of sense of control. And often that is how you spend, you know, I can't buy my family's happiness, obviously, but 
if I bought them this toy, they're stuck indoors. There's nothing that's open right now because we're in lockdown. If I just get them this, they will feel happier and I will be getting them something that that I, I will see a smile on their face. And at the end of the day, obviously it's not, you know, that's not the answer, but I get it. We're human and we look for that. And a lot of people use money. A lot of people use buying stuff as a way to alleviate pain, as a way to uh, deal with stress, as a deal to deal with boredom even, you know, and that is a very human thing. I'm not saying, you know, I would never blame people for that. You know, we, we, we get caught up, but I'm here to just sort of say as a friend, sometimes we need to pause and sometimes we need to just look at ourselves and, and, and think, what are we doing? And then just kind of, you know, put into place some sort of system to help us kind of break out of the habits that we are, um, that we're stuck in, you know, I do that for myself too. You know, I have a reset button when I, when I'm off track. Ooh, how do you that? Well, Oh, I have so many questions. I'd love to hear about how your job has changed during the pandemic. I mean, you were so in person when it came to recording the show and everything you're doing, you had so many events and stuff. So I'd love to hear about how work has changed, but Oh yeah. The, the reset. I mean, how do you, how do you tune into that? What's, I mean, again, people should read your book, but, but how do do you, how do you know that you're off track? Because I think sometimes, like you said, we justify away, right? Oh, it's for my kids. It's so that my husband is happy. It's so that I feel sexy in a new dress. So like we rationalize or justify these things in our minds. So how do you know when you're getting off track? Like what's the do you have an accountability think, partner? Do you have a, I don't know, like a certain level of money? Like what's the, I think everyone is different in how they feel when they're off track. Um, personally, when I'm off, uh, when I'm off track, I feel, I feel guilt. And so there's this nagging feeling that I I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. And obviously it's because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is why I feel that way. And no matter how many times I try to rationalize it, it's the, it's the me trying to, you know, the, the lawyer arguing in my head. As soon as I hear that voice, I know I am probably doing something that it's a little off track and I need to go back to basics. And so for me, basics is um, sitting down and looking at what I've been doing it's getting clarity on my situation. And so I will go back over the last month or two months and look at my spending. Um, I generally don't do that. I'm not somebody who budget, you know, makes a budget and adheres to it every single day. I usually do it a couple of times a year and I sort of set everything up so that I have a cash flow that I say, okay, well, all this money goes to my, my savings. And now this money is, you know, this is the money that I have for spending for cash. Um, And, I try to stick to that, but sometimes obviously we, f- we fall off, you know, we, we, we decide that we're excited about landscaping and we put it on our credit card. We, <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, um, have a period of super stress and we say, man, you know what? I deserve this. I've been working hard. I'm going to order out cause I don't want to cook for the kids, you know? Um, and that, and, and that for me, that looking at myself usually gets me back on track. And then I sort of rejig the numbers and make sure that I'm adhering to everything. And it's, uh, 
it's kind of like a shoulder shake for me. And then what I'll do is I will call my friends. I will get on my WhatsApp group of people who usually I check in with and I usually just make up a new goal. I say, girls, I need a little bit of support this month because this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to check in with you and let you know how I'm doing. Please hold me accountable. Yeah. Huge. It takes a lot of, oh, I don't know if it's self-awareness, courage, so many people, it's really easy to just avoid the budget altogether, right? Because if you, if you can just shove it out under the rug, then it's not there somehow. But I think it takes a certain level of maturity to say, look, okay, I, here's what I've been up to and I can fix it as long as I look at it, honestly. Um, I mean, when you, when, you know, when you are feeling kind of stressed about something or, or ashamed of something or worried about something, what is your instinct? Is your instinct to look or, I mean, how do you handle it? Oh man. I mean, yeah, it, it's really easy to, to want to hide it, but it's Jordan Peterson talks about it, like being a dragon and then the dragon just grows. So to your point of guilt, it's like, if I start out trying to hide it or trying to avoid it, I find it just grows in my mind mostly mm. <laughs> until I, so I find I, at some point I have to look at it, but I usually like an accountability partner of some sort, whether it's my husband or a friend, um, or even a therapist, like whatever it is, somebody that will help to check in and say, okay, here's what you said you wanted. How is this lining up or a coach? I mean, I'm right. in the world. So definitely. I mean, if I write, if I write it down, it makes it real for me. If I write it down, I, I, I'm a, I love lists. I love to do uh, lists. And so if I write something down, that, that is one of the very first steps for me when I am trying to tackle new behavior, when I'm trying to do something different, I find that if I break that goal down into the smallest, tiniest piece, I feel more empowered to do it. Yeah, that's funny, you know, because it's, I'm definitely an auditory learner. And so it's funny that I would say my instinct is to talk it out with someone and you love writing and you're like, okay, I have to write this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, so that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I, um, along the line of what we were talking about before, but I'm curious about how you've navigated everything changing in regards to your work. I mean, you've done, I find that you're so graceful and you just seem to do things with, I, so easily that's how it seems right but how how has it been to you know work from home I know you have kids how has that transition been for you and your work I think I read something talking about um I'm trying to remember I my brain doesn't work sometimes (laughs) after a long day it was a New York Times article I think about the idea of of this feeling of stagnation this feeling of um being stuck, I think. And I've tried to be honest with the feelings that I've been having during the pandemic and the anxiety and the stress and the weight of trying to take care of two kids at home. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a lot, especially when you are self-employed and when, (laughs) when the pandemic, you know, um, came when it started in March of 2020, 
I was excited for the year. I thought this is the year, you know, I, I'm ready to go. 2020 is going to be great. And the majority of my work is events and television, which is all live on stage. And it just, it just evaporated in a blink. And my husband is self-employed too. And his business was also affected and shut down. And there was this moment where I just excused myself from the kitchen table one morning and went and had like a 30 second sob in the bathroom and returned because it was this, you know, you know, that, that in the beginning, it was just, there was so much that was unknown. And there was, what are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to make it? But, uh, I have always been someone who has tried to prepare for storms. And so we had an emergency fund that I could always, you know, lean back on. And that's such a privilege, you know? And so I used my time um, to try to strategize, to figure out what I was going to do next and to also use my resources to help other people because that gave me purpose in a, in a time when I was feeling uh, powerless but um, yeah, like I said before, you know, I've always tried to make lemonade. I've been put into situations many times in my career where I didn't want to be there. You know, I didn't want to be working at the Financial Post, <laughs> for example, because I was working my dream job in the arts and life section. But, um, you know, that happens. And I remember pitching you know, like 60 agents, book agents, literary agents, my, my vampire series, and no one wanted it. No one wanted to touch it. And I thought, okay, well, I'll have to pivot and, you know, self-publish it myself. And, um, and that ended up being such a great adventure. And it was, it, it uh, I learned so much. And so whenever I'm in a situation where I feel stuck or where I'm not sure what I'm going to do, I always take it as a learning experience. So I am going to learn how to run a speaking business from my basement. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to learn how to set up a studio and it's going to be fun. Um, Yeah. So it's just, uh, I'm still learning, right? We're all learning, but that's the fun of, of life. You can, you could be, it could be day one for you on any new adventure um and as crappy as as that might seem in the beginning yeah yeah completely and I love that you touched upon emergency funds and I especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and I feel that for sure I was going to ask so many questions it's crazy how quickly time flies um I was going to ask you about also just with entrepreneurship specifically or entrepreneurs, how do we navigate so much uncertainty? I mean, I guess the pandemic has been a great learning for everyone in that regard, but what beyond the emergency fund can we do when income is so variable some, some months? I mean, we might have a general baseline, but especially if you're starting out as an entrepreneur, some months are, are zero or negative. Mm-hmm. How do we... And I think this would apply to everyone, actually, like I've said with the pandemic. I mean, something can hit you, whatever, an illness in a family or um, what, whatever, something with your kids yeah. or you have kids, you want to take time off as a new mom, like whatever the case is. How, how, do, we, how do we build a bit of preparation or resilience? There? Right. 
I mean, you know, you know, as an entrepreneur, like there is no, there is, you know, as an entrepreneur that this is a very unique journey. Like this is a tough situation. And I, I, I have so much admirations for small, so much admiration for small businesses, for entrepreneurs, uh, even before the pandemic, because I think it takes a special kind of person to stick it out through such in, you know, highs and lows learning curve for entrepreneurs is, is, um, steep and the and the lows are low right because sometimes you are you put everything into something and if you have a period where you lose or you make a mistake which is guaranteed because that's part of the process um it hurts you know because you've put your heart and soul into something and you are expecting you know this is your livelihood you're trying to survive and so i i I high five entrepreneurs. Like they're such survivors. You know, if you can make it in this biz, if you can succeed as an entrepreneur, you're just, you're a superstar. Um, I think the only thing that I would say about trying to, to, to plan is, I mean, you can only plan so much, right? I mean, you can do every worst case scenario. You could draw it out. You could make a list of your resources. What do you have available? You can make different scenarios of what if this happens? How, you know, how much runway do I have in terms of cash? You know, what uh, options do I have in terms of, of um, you know, credit? Can I get cheap credit? Can I get access to if this happens? You know, can I make sure that I have this percentage set aside for, uh, future investments and this percentage aside set aside for paying myself so I can live. You can do all of those numbers. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to run smoothly and it'll all be perfect. Um, but running scenarios can help you at least feel a little bit less um, unprepared. And sometimes that's that's really important. Sometimes it's just giving yourself a boost of confidence, right? That I got this, <laughs> you know, storm is going to come, but I, I can manage. I will figure it out. Yeah. I love that because we can't always map out. I mean, if we talked about this two years ago, right? Like to map out <laughs> 2020 would have been very difficult. So I love the, at least at least the mindset shift of saying, okay, I'm going to try to have three or four main scenarios that I know might happen. And then I'm going to let it go and just do my best here with this. Yeah. It's just even the idea that you've like, you've thought about it and you have created um, some scenarios in terms of resources that you have. Those could be internal resources, you know, just your moxie and your, um, you know, what things you have available in terms of your skills. And that could be external resources, you know, bar things that you can sell, things that you can, um, uh, ways that you can pivot, uh, people you can get money from, you know, whatever it is, uh, ideas that you may have to uh, expand the business or whatever it is. It's just, this is what, what an entrepreneur does. You know, you're just brainstorming, you're thinking of things that, um, could help you now could help you in the future, right? It, it's all just part of this confidence building. It's all part of the process. And 
I find that when I'm worried about anything, sometimes it just helps to think about, okay, well, what is the worst case scenario? And how would I deal with that? Actually, maybe it isn't that bad. Oh, I love that. It usually isn't, right? I mean, when we're worried about things, we often don't, don't even get to the worst case, but we allow it to spend, I mean, we can allow it to take up so much of our mind space. So I think that's so helpful. And I, I could keep you all night. I mean, or morning. I'm (laughs) again, I'm so appreciative that you're literally up at 1230 in the morning so that we can chat. It means the world to me. And I know that everyone listening has gained a ton from your insight and wisdom on money and more the, the inner game as well. I think I've learned a ton. So thank you so much, Melissa. It's been my absolute pleasure. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and waking up so early. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like it's all about priorities, like you said, and what do you value and what's important to you? And this, this call means so much to me. Again, I love what you're doing to inspire people from the ground level in your one-on-one connections, like the connection we made all the way up to writing you're doing and, and shows you're doing. I think it's brilliant that you're impacting people in so many different ways. We, we need you. We need a, a voice of, a gentle voice of reason, I think. And I I love how you approach truly. I think that the definition of money you gave earlier is the most beautiful definition I've ever heard. So I'm going to definitely link to um, your book. And I had no idea about this vampire series. I feel so like, is it, I'm going to, I had no idea. I mean, you have your other book, but I had no idea about. They're written under a pen name. I, I wrote two, um, two teen novels under a pen name for fun. Uh, Because again, life is an adventure and sometimes you just want to learn about a process. And so I wanted to learn about self-publishing because no one would publish my vampire books because they were coming out around the same time as, as just, I think just after the Twilight series and publishers were so sick of getting vampire pitches that I think I read someone say on Twitter, a literary agent say that if they got one more vampire pitch, they would kill themselves. (laughs) And I thought, wow, so dramatic, but crap, I just sent you one. (laughs) But it all worked out. And it was so great. Well, I'm literally, I'm going to go figure out what it is right now. That's so cool. I bet my my younger sister would be into that. So that's They're awesome. very violent. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it so much. I mean, I wish, oh my God, I, we didn't even get to touch upon, you know, parenting. I love your parenting style from what I see online, which is, you know, I know it's always a limited view, but I think- A snapshot of someone's life, right? No, but I do love how you do crafts with your kids. Like, I think that's so cool. And you're just like, we're not buying this thing. We're going to make it. Oh. (laughs) I love that. I I have a six-year-old who is very much like me. He probably is a- carbon copy of what I was like when I was six years old and sometimes I speak to him (laughs) like I am speaking to myself it's good and bad Um, but he has this incredible mind and I want to nurture that and I've always been you know everyone is different in terms of their parenting style 
obviously based on on their upbringing as well and I've always been one of those moms that um I I'm kind of a kid so I want to go on the adventure I want to you know roll around in the dirt and live in the fort and you know make weapons out of toilet paper rolls <laughs> we we uh yeah we do that we're we're just big kids I love it and that's I mean again you touch upon values right and so I love that you live them out with them alongside your kids I think that's beautiful yeah I mean I quit my I quit my my full-time job to be at home to spend more time with my kids when they were young because I just felt that I would never get that time back you know when I went on maternity leave I purposely did not spend my maternity leave top up so that when it was over I knew that I had the option of quitting and I would have to pay all of that money back and that's what I did I just I had it all sitting in an account and I just wrote them a check I wrote my company a check and I walked away from my job but this is why it's important to think about I mean this wasn't a worst case scenario this was just thinking about options thinking about opportunities you know if you want more choices for your future then you need to make decisions right now that will give you more opportunities wow that must have been so powerful to just be like yep here's your check got it like good we're good I mean, I could have spent it. I needed yeah. it. There were things that I could have spent it on, but I thought if I spend it, I will feel less, I will, like you, you know, the word you used, you know, so powerful. I will feel less empowered to make this choice. And at the end of my maternity leave, I want to be able to make that choice if that's what I want. You know, I I didn't know. So I, and I didn't want it to be just about money. I, I didn't want there to be one more thing to um, impact my decision, which should really be about my family and, you know, what I want out of the next few years of my life and my career, and not because I owed, you know, (laughs) $10,000 to the company that I needed to pay back right away that I didn't have. So yeah, super powerful. I guess that's actually, okay, maybe my final question, although again, I have thousands, but so how do you do that? How do you lock something away where you're like, okay, this needs to stay here so that I have that empowerment. I know some people, you know, whether it's because of a credit card or they Mm -hmm. just have all their money in a checking account, or they don't Mm -hmm. pay themselves first and kind of have that saving, but even in savings, right. They'll be like, oh, but you know, this is worth it. And they'll draw out of their emergency fund or whatever. So how do you, how do you kind of, I know mentally you can allocate it, but how do you tactically actually say, okay, like this cannot be touched. Do you have a specific? I think everyone is different. That's why it's called personal finance. You, every, everyone is personal. And so they create, people will create systems that will hopefully serve them. They don't always, but personally, I know that, and there are a lot of studies that back this up for a lot of other people too. If you don't see it, you won't spend it. So this is that whole pay yourself first idea, right? I The idea that 
if the money is in your bank account and you have a debit card associated to that bank account, you probably will spend it because it's there. But if you have it siphoned out going into a separate account, even if it's a tiny amount, you're not going to notice. And then one day you're going to check this other savings account where money has been flowing into and think, whoa, how did this happen? Um, But if you, you know, try to make that, uh, sort of behind the scenes, you know, it's on autopilot that should help a little bit when it comes to savings. The other thing too, is, is to, when you allocate that you used, you use the word sort of mindfully thinking that this money cannot be touched. Um, but it, some, we, as human beings, there's lots of research that shows that we actually need a lot of mental cues because our brains, it takes a lot of work for us to, to break down the long-term repercussions of our actions. You know, we like to operate on autopilot. So um, having this cue, having this money that would come into my bank account and it would automatically go to another another account. And then if I wanted to get something, if I wanted to, to you know, I had this, I actually had a, a, a post-it note in my wallet for a little while that uh, would just have something on it that would be a reminder you know, maybe it said my son's name, or maybe it said, you know, whatever. It could be for you. It could be vacation. It could be um, retirement. It could be anything, really, anything that you're saving for, any kind of goal. And sometimes you just need that mental reminder. That's why people have vision boards. That's why people have, you know, post-it notes. It's just something to cue your brain so that when you're about to do something, there's a pause. And in that pause, you can think, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. There's something more important than what I'm about to do right now. Yeah. Love that. Making a bit of friction for yourself as well, like you said. So automatically going somewhere else. So you can't touch it. I think that's really great. And then the reminder, that's so cute about the sticky note. Yeah. For me, I needed it because... I mean, well, especially since we're all shopping online, retailers, they call it frictionless transactions. They want it to be as easy as possible for you to spend your money. That's why there's the tap. There's that. That's why there's the one click buy button. It is very convenient, but it also makes it extremely easy for you to lose track of how much you are spending. And it makes you it makes it extremely easy to spend on impulse because you're essentially seeing something maybe in the middle of the night at 2am when you pick up your phone and you think, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll buy that. And all of a sudden it's mailed to your house. That's why we need a pause. That's why I have this 24 hour waiting period before I actually buy something. I'll leave something in the shopping cart. We all just need some time to process whether or not this is a good use of our resources. Oh, I love that. That's actually really good too. A time period, a waiting period on certain purchases. That's awesome. Yeah. You just have to know your own habits. You know, how do you shop? You know, think of the last three things that you bought that was unplanned. How did you do that? Why did you do that? How did you feel? And then that way you can sort of put into a system, uh, put a system into place that will address that for yourself. For me, I, I did, I would buy things on impulse sometimes. And so I needed, I needed a period of, <laughs> of, wait, hang on a second. Uh, Let me text my friends and ask them what they think of this. Yeah. My gosh. Well, I'm so grateful that they put you on the financial post, even though 
you weren't necessarily the biggest fan from the beginning. I think that that's an un- yeah, that's an understatement on both <laughs> on both accounts. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you made lemonade from it. Truly, like you truly embraced it and are rocking it in the space. So, I'm grateful that you did that because I think me you- too. Me too. It worked out. Yeah. Well, well, thank you again, Melissa. So so grateful to have time with you today. I learned thank you a ton and practical things too. I think sometimes with money, it can feel, I don't know, either really technical and out of reach, like a very, you know, if it's financial, mm-hmm. like a lot of jargon and really confusing. And I think you really personalized some strategies that I can actually use. Good. I'm glad. We have such generous and amazing guests and so grateful that exceptional people like Melissa are willing to come on the show and chat with me. If you want more, either hit subscribe on the podcast or subscribe to the behind the scenes using the link in the notes and get some extra content tips and tricks from the experts that are on the show and myself. We'd love to see you behind the scenes. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day.